Hello everyone, this is Eva Nolik-Smith with Your Review Online and I am very happy to be here today with Dr. Baxter Bell who joins us to talk about an issue that affects millions of Americans, high blood pressure. As a physician, Baxter knows firsthand about the many health risks of high blood pressure and as a yoga teacher and yoga therapist, he also is an expert on the different ways yoga may help us prevent or manage high blood pressure. A bit about Baxter's background. Baxter fell in love with yoga in 1993 while he was working full-time as a family physician. And he was so inspired by the potential yoga holes for fostering health and healing that he stepped down from his medical practice and became a full-time yoga teacher. He is now not only a full-time yoga teacher, he is also a leading force in the development of yoga therapy as a profession. And he is a member of the board of the International Association of Yoga Therapy. He is often quoted as an expert on yoga and health by major national news outlets such as the Washington Post and Wall Street Journal. And we are very excited to announce that he has a new book on yoga for healthy aging uh, just co-authored with Nina Solotov which is being published by Shambhala Press. Hi Baxter, thanks for joining us and a big congratulations on your new book. When is it coming out? Thanks. Uh, the book Yoga for Healthy Aging that I co-authored with Nina Zolotov is coming out December the 12th, 2017. So just a couple short ways away. And it's being published by Shambhala Press. And we're very excited about it. It's been a, a wonderful culmination of the six years of writing the blog and gathering all this amazing information together and then presenting it in a really nice, understandable way for everybody out there. Yeah, and such such a timely topic, you know, so many with the, uh, what is it called, the silver tsunami of aging baby boomers. Yes. I, I, it's definitely very timely. And of course, when we talk about healthy aging, um, one of the things we have to talk about is maintaining uh, normal blood pressure. I mm -hmm. saw a statistic recently that one out of three Americans over 40 have high blood pressure. Yes, that's, isn't that amazing? Yeah. It's staggering, isn't it? And yeah. it's about 70 million people in the United States, and they estimate over a billion people worldwide have high blood pressure. So it's a huge uh, both uh, issue for the United States and also for the entire globe. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it's also interesting that and if you look at the distribution of high blood pressure between men and women, men tend to develop it earlier in life, before the age of 40, 45, Women tend to develop it more often after 65, but over the course of the lifetime, it's pretty equal between men and women. Um, so it affects everybody. You know, we have to really think about this for men and women. And about a, a third to a half of the people walking around with high blood pressure don't even know they have high blood pressure. They haven't been diagnosed yet. Because the problem is that it's not accompanied by any really predominant symptoms that you're going to notice if you have high blood pressure. Right. It doesn't cause chronic headaches or fatigue, at least not to the extent that it drives people in to get checked out. Right. So it gets discovered on a routine exam when you're there for something else to see your doctor. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And most people sort of know that there's a link between high blood pressure and stroke. Um, but 
could you, yes, both stroke and heart attacks, but yeah. what are the mecha mechanics of that? Um, how exactly, what are the pathways through which high blood pressure affects our health? And is it important to catch it early on? Um, well, I think it is important to catch it early on because if we do, we're gonna less likely suffer from heart attacks and strokes as well as the other you know, downstream effects of untreated hypertension, which are you know, the things like uh, a congestive heart failure or kidney disease or eye problems that can also come with untreated high blood pressure. Um, but what we think happens, of course, is if high blood pressure isn't addressed, it contributes to the development of other problems in our circulatory system. For instance, the development of the hardening of the blood vessels in the arteries and veins as well as the buildup of plaque inside the blood vessels, which can be the things that eventually lead to the heart attacks and strokes. And we do know that if we can address it early on, we can actually regress those, those clogged arteries. And we can also secondarily reduce the blood pressure as well. So even though we know the negative effects of untreated high blood pressure on our body and on our health over time, we also know that we can have an impact on that as well. A 10-point drop in the high number of blood pressure reduces your chance of stroke by up to 50 to 60%. A 10-degree drop in that number on your blood pressure reduces your chance of a heart attack by 40 to 50%. So although we also know the negative problems if not treating blood pressure, we also know that if we address it, we can actually see things actually come back into a better, a better range of possibilities for us as we get older. So, you know, again, if addressed, we can actually do something about it. If left unaddressed, if we say, well, you know, I've got this, I really don't feel like doing anything about it, I don't like taking medicines, whatever the reason is, um, we're setting ourselves up for potential problems down the road. Interesting. Yeah. And the, if you have had high blood pressure for a while and you discover it a little bit down the road, can the changes be reversed uh, that have happened uh, to the system? Well, we know in certain circumstances that they can. So a lot of people who have high blood pressure might go on to develop blockages, for example, in the blood vessels of their heart, right? So they develop atherosclerosis, coronary artery disease is the other common term associated with that, meaning that you're narrowing those blood vessels, so blood's having a hard time getting through, and it could eventually block off completely, cause a heart attack, or break off some of the, the lining and send it downstream and cause a heart attack, right? So the work of people like Dean Ornish have shown us that lifestyle changes can actually reverse those blockages. And in addition to that, help to lower the blood pressure at the same time, right? So yes, we can, we can certainly address some of those problems. We have to be you know, pretty diligent and dedicated and disciplined. That's a lot of Ds, sorry about that. But <laughs> all those things are important uh, in order to have some impact. Um, but, but it's totally doable, mm -hmm. totally yeah. doable, yeah. yeah. I guess we can sort of look at the uh, half empty cup or we can also look at the half full cup. So yeah. the two thirds of people who don't have high blood pressure, what characterizes them that they can avoid it? Well, mm -hmm. if you don't have blood, high blood pressure right now and you'd like to prevent it from developing in your life, because what's interesting um, is that you know, men under 45 are more likely to have high blood pressure but when women get to 65, they catch up. So women have a higher incidence of high blood pressure after 65. But if you look at the whole lifespan, 
men and women are typically pretty equal in uh, developing mm -hmm. high blood pressure at some point in their life, right? So again, if we're thinking, what can I do to prevent developing high blood pressure? Well, it's important to know what the risk factors are for developing blood, uh, high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So you know, again, we don't know exactly how this all works out. You know, we have this, this term, essential hypertension, which if essentially means essentially we don't know why you have hypertension, right? <laughs> uh, that's not what, in other words, we're not exactly certain the mechanisms, but what we think are some of the causative factors um, are things like obesity and inactivity and high dietary salt. So those three factors are typically pointed to pretty regularly as, as contributing to you having a higher chance of having high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So right away, something I'm eating, which I could have an effect on, um, my body habitus, obesity, if it wasn't coming from another underlying condition, maybe it was just because I'm not very physically active, could be addressed, right? Um, uh, what was the other one I said? Um, obesity. Um, salt intake and, and the other sedentary, sedentary lifestyle. Again, something that I can do something about, right? <laughs> right. Um, so so and the, other, the other risk factors are things like, if you've already developed diabetes, you're at, you have a higher chance of also developing high blood pressure. If you smoke cigarettes, you're also more likely to develop high blood pressure. If you uh, use alcohol excessively, if you're a heavy drinker, you're more likely to, to develop high blood pressure. Um, mm -hmm. If you suffer from chronic stress and anxiety, you're more likely to eventually develop high blood pressure. If you have a family history of high blood pressure, you're also more likely to develop it. Now this gets into genetics, which you may or may not be able to exactly influence. But we know from epigenetics, which is everything that you do that affects your genes, right. that even that can be affected in a certain way. Right. And then if your racial background is such that you have a higher incidence within certain racial backgrounds, such as African Americans, the black community, the rates of high blood pressure are more like 40% versus 30% of the population. Oh, wow. And wow. in the black community, women have a higher rate of high blood pressure than men do, interestingly, over, over the lifetime. Mm -hmm. So again, almost everything I've mentioned are things that here on Yoga U and, you know, and other places that we've been talking about for the last couple of years where yoga can have a positive impact right, right. on maintaining or even sometimes starting to reverse the trend of a particular condition, right? So if I have developed diabetes, for instance, um, but it's type two diabetes, and I'm right now working on dietary changes mm -hmm. and maybe taking one medication to help keep my sugars more healthy, we know that if we apply yoga tools in that setting, that we can have even more dramatic improvements that take place. Mm -hmm. And there have been certain individuals who have gone from being actively diabetic to going back to being pre-diabetic, meaning their blood sugar yeah. levels go back to normal and they're off medication because they did that with their doctor. They kind of titrated that down and their lifestyle practices that fall under the yoga umbrella are helping them to maintain good blood sugar control, right? Mm -hmm. Therefore, I'm eliminating one of the risk factors associated with developing high blood pressure. Right, right. Right. So I can kind of approach it from very many different angles. I see. On, right. You know what I know about my own life, right? If I if I have diabetes, or if you know maybe I have been drinking too much lately, and I want to do something about that, I could utilize my yoga tools for changing lifestyle habits, bad health habits, yeah. therefore lowering my risk of developing high blood pressure. Yeah. Interesting. 
All right. I think one of the peop the things that people are concerned about with high blood pressure is, you know, should they or shouldn't they take the medication? I mean, the medication is very commonly prescribed, but it also right. has gotten a bad rap. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk. Let's step back for one second and talk about three scenarios. Scenario number one is this condition called prehypertension, right, where the blood pressure is just a little bit elevated. Normal these days is considered 120, the top number, the systolic blood pressure, over 80, the <laughs> bottom number, the diastolic blood pressure, right? So 120 over 80, anything there or below is considered normal. <laughs> so that's good news, right? So that's normal blood pressure. Prehypertension means my blood pressure numbers are between 120 to 140 on the mm -hmm. top number and 80 to 90 on the bottom number. And the good news is that the treatment recommendation from your doctor is typically simply lifestyle modification, not wow. medication, not medication. Mm -hmm. Good news, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you go in and they say, hey, uh, you know, we've got something to discuss, it's not super great news, we think you have prehypertension, um, at least this gives you a little window of opportunity to do everything you can when it comes to lifestyle modification to maybe avoid the need to even take medication down the road. Okay, so that's prehypertension. If I fall into the next category, which is called basically stage one hypertension, it means my top number is somewhere between 140 and 160, and my bottom number is between 90 and 100. And at this stage, also, they usually start off by saying, let's do everything we can in terms of lifestyle modification and diet and exercise before we try medication. So again, you're given a little window of opportunity where you're not being prescribed medication as the first thing that you have to do to address this problem. Okay? Mm -hmm. so, that's, so, so we're talking about no hypertension, pre-hypertension, stage one hypertension, all lifestyle stuff. Right, right. If That's impressive. Point, yeah, when we get to stage two hypertension, where the top numbers are 160 or higher, and the bottom number is 100 or higher, usually there's a sense of greater urgency. Right. Because at those levels, when they're taking your blood pressure in the office and you're, you've just walked in and it's been a calm, relaxing day, mm -hmm. that's just saying what your blood pressure is in a good moment of your day. Right. When you're, you know, stressed out at work or going to the gym and working out, your blood pressure is going to go much higher than that in all likelihood right. because right. there's a dynamic change that takes place whether we have high blood pressure or not. Right. And so they're going to probably want to start you on medicines. Yeah. So yeah. the positive side of that is many of the medicines will drop your blood pressure by 10 points or more, mm -hmm. which again, lowers your chance of strokes and heart attacks by up to 50%. So that's the good news if you have to take medication. The downside is that many medications, not all, but many of them have side effects that are going to be unwanted, things that you don't want to have showing up, whether it's a diuretic that makes you get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom two or three times, or a calcium channel blocker that uh, causes your energy to feel a little bit lower than normal, or some other effect. So, you know, the, the upside, they lower your blood pressure, they lower your risk of the serious health problems that we want to prevent. And then the negative side is they might have a side effect. Mm -hmm. And in all likelihood, once started, if you don't do anything to help lower your blood pressure in terms of lifestyle, you're probably going to be on that medication. 
And oftentimes, as you get older, um, a second medication will need to be added to help keep your blood pressure down. Mm. So then you're taking two medicines instead of one. Mm. And you know, one of the reasons why I try to motivate my students uh, locally and around the country to take really good care of themselves is that I'm hoping they'll not have to take very many prescription medications as they get older. They might have to take a couple for very good reason, um, but we know that um, the second most common reason for older adults falling and breaking something is being on more than four prescription medications. Interesting. So it's kind of an aside, but it's like, to me, that's it's pretty really important. important. Good yeah. motivation to do yeah. everything I can to limit the number mm. of prescription medicines I need to take, right? Yeah. I want to take yeah. them if I need them. Yeah. I don't want to take them if there's another alternative for me. Yeah, yeah. So if I wanted to hedge my best and I don't bets and I don't want to like do all these lifestyle changes, which can right. seem a little overwhelming if you're just starting out, um, do we know anything about which lifestyle modifications are more effective than others? Is there a shortcut? Gosh, that is an excellent question for which I don't have a definite answer. In my research that I've done to date, and I've been you know, kind of reading about this and studying about it over the years now, I haven't found anything that compares this with that. Although, um, there has been a study that looked at whether yoga is as effective as something else that the Western medical community has studied a lot, which is exercise. Oh. And there has been some studies that show that yoga is, seems to be equivalent to the benefit of exercise when it comes to lowering blood pressure. So that's good news, right? So say I don't really feel like being a, you know, a, a regular walker, or I don't want to get on the treadmill, you know, three or four times a week for 30 minutes or 40 minutes. Um, it seems that a well-balanced yoga practice that includes an, an active asana practice and other tools can um, be as effective as exercise for helping to lower blood pressure. Mm, interesting. And is this because of the stress relieving effects of yoga or is there more at play? Or we don't know. Well, the, the, the yoga researchers have a theory on what's going on. We don't know for sure. Um, what they believe is that by decreasing stress through our yoga tools, we improve something called self-regulation. And I suspect there's probably a program on Yoga U that at least dives into that a little bit. And, and, and uh, when we have better self-regulation, we then start to have greater influence over our autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So we can shift the system when the blood pressure's high and the heart's beating faster and the system's under that stress response. We can actually influence it to move towards the rest and digest response or the relaxation response where blood pressure drops, heart rate slows, you know, all of the physiologic parameters of the body start to quiet down a little bit. So the theory is that yoga practices improve self-regulation, which then has this effect on the autonomic nervous system that subsequently lowers, lowers the blood pressure and helps to keep it lower over time. Mm. Um, and self-regulation is defined as our ability to regulate our internal state and behavior via an integration of what they call top-down or bottom-up brain processing. It's a very technical way of saying that my conscious mind can influence my body and my basic body practices can influence my mind. So I could be guided in a series of yoga postures and I'm kind of living on that physical level, kind of being in the poses, feeling and noticing. And that's gonna have an effect from bottom up to my brain in terms of how my brain processes information. 
including information about whether or not my blood pressure should be higher or lower. Okay, and 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 likewise, some of the more um, uh, intellectual processes, such as being involved in a meditation practice, a focus of my concentration, that would be uh, stimulating my prefrontal cortex and other areas of my brain, and that would be considered a top-down form of regulation that would then calm my body and my heart and my circulatory system. So we've got this bottom-up and top-down effect that comes through self-regulation, at least on a theoretical level right now. That's what yoga researchers are talking about these days as to how it affects blood pressure. Yeah, that's beautiful. So essentially, your ability to keep in the keep the balance between sympathetic and parasympathetic functioning, and yeah. not go into this uh, constant state of hyperdrive or overact hyperactivity that um, modern lifestyle kind of tends to put us in. Yeah, because remember, one of the risk factors for developing hypertension is chronic anxiety, right? Or chronic, even chronic. Uh, yeah, stress and anxiety. So again, we're addressing the stress through our tools. We've got lots of studies now that look at yoga as a good form of stress management. Mm -hmm. So this stress management would be operating under this theory of self-regulation, right? We're effectively addressing stress because we're improving our self-regulation on a mental, emotional level and also a physical level. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I'm reminded of what uh, Socrates say, right? Know yourself. <laughs> so yeah. as we learn how to work with ourselves and our emotional states and our body, um, it's pretty amazing that we can affect these changes in the body that have, I think we all felt the effects of yoga in terms of our emotional and well, mental well-being, but it's a good reminder that it has such significant spillover effects. Um, into our health and our and risk factors for for heart disease, such as high blood pressure. Yeah. Well, I just wonder how strong the research is on the effects of yoga for high blood pressure. I know there's a number of studies out there, but I don't know how conclusive they are. Yeah. There's about 16 um, controlled studies that were looked at recently in the new book that came out, Principles and Practices of yoga and healthcare that Timothy McCall is an editor on and Satbir Khalsa is also one of the main editors. He's the editor in chief of that book. And they have a chapter on yoga for hypertension. Uh, and they reviewed the research that's been done since the 60s until mo uh, the last couple of years. Um, and they do point out that there is, although it's preliminary evidence, that the evidence is um, encouraging that yoga can be at least a good adjunct to Western treatments for high blood pressure. So, you know, they, they have the same uh, concerns that almost all studies have, the number of people participating, the ability to control with a control group, all those things that we hear over and over again about the limitations in doing yoga research were mentioned when they reviewed these 16 studies, but they felt seven of them had really good, solid uh, information that came from those. And even Grace Bullock, who writes, of course, for the Yogi uh, online blog, has reviewed a recent study that was done in Israel that looked at lifestyle modification in, in a study they did against just the DASH diet and exercise and found that a more comprehensive lifestyle approach that included basically some yoga practices was more effective than the Western recommendation of the DASH diet, which is a diet for hypertension, 
and exercise alone. So we've got some information there as well. Again, not a huge study, only 116 people in that study, but it was a fairly well done study. So, mm, so yeah, yeah. And, and viewers of, of this can actually look at that blog um, and, and actually read that and get some more details on what Grace wrote about that. Right, right, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and then of course, um, there still are some things people need to be aware of if they're uh, starting yoga or practicing yoga with high blood pressure? Yes. Um, well, first of all, I think that yoga is generally incredibly safe. Uh, one of the great reasons why the uh, editors of that text that I just mentioned were so positive about it is because it's generally safe for most people and there are relatively no side effects. And in fact, in all the studies they looked at, there were no negative uh, reports of problems in the people that were in the group that was using yoga as a way of addressing high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty safe practice generally. However, theoretically, again, if we're doing certain kinds of poses in a certain way, it could jack our blood pressure up in the moment. Mm -hmm. So we want to keep that in mind. So some typical recommendations or cautions. If you have newly diagnosed, and, and again, who is it we're talking about? We're not talking about people with normal blood pressure. We're probably not even talking about people with prehypertension, although they'd want to be a little bit cautious. Mm -hmm. We're really probably talking about people with stage one or stage two high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. In that case, we'd want to be mindful of strenuous standing poses, like the warrior series, because when we hold those poses statically, it increases the workload on my heart and it's going to increase my blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So the recommendation is you can do those poses, just don't hold them for very long. I, my recommendation is three or four breaths and then come out for a couple breaths. And then you, go, you could do it again a second time if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. In fact, in, in our book, Yoga for Aging, we have 36 essential poses. And in describing each pose, we talk about a few cautions. And so in any posture where I felt in our basic yoga poses that this was going to be problematic for people with high blood pressure, I mentioned that simple caution. Don't stay in the pose for more than about three or four breaths. Right. And you can't do it. Just be smart about it. <clears throat> I think that's important to keep in mind. Right. There are some stronger recommendations around other poses. So we actually did a post on Yoga for Healthy Aging, the blog, a while back. Nina wrote the post, and she consulted with me on her recommendations. And we basically said that for people who have that stage one, stage two hypertension, you probably are going to want to avoid this, the big gun inversions, the really strong, powerful inversions like handstand and headstand and shoulder stand and forearm plank, or I'm sorry, forearm balance right, and, right. Uh, and plow pose, even some of the supported versions of plow pose. Again, because when you go upside down, the blood from your lower extremities rushes back towards your head and it's going to crank your blood pressure up. Your body may eventually help to bring that down a little bit, but in that immediate moment, it's going to go pretty high. Yeah, and that's when you yeah. might be at a bigger risk of an aneurysm bursting or something right. else you don't want to have happen to you. Yeah, so yeah. Is it possible that you could reintroduce those poses at some point? Sure. But you want to be seeing the blood pressure numbers coming down towards prehypertension or normal levels right. before you're probably going to want to do those on a regular. Yeah. 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 And then any questions about that group of poses before I mention a couple other things? Um, no, just that those are not poses that beginners would tackle anyway. Sure. Um, yes. But for beginners, should they be concerned about simple inversions like leg up the wall pose? 
Good question. And I would say that you can be much more um, liberal in having those kinds of poses in your practice and staying in them for a little while. Mm -hmm. So typically legs up the wall, especially if your hips are on the ground and not up in the air on a bolster, probably very, very little effect on blood pressure. Um, easy inverted pose, which Judith Lasseter calls instant Maui, um, <laughs> where you lie on your back and you have your calves <clears throat> on the seat. Again, could be a, a variation on legs up the wall. Mm -hmm. And um, the supported bridge, where your head's on the floor, but your, your chest and body is on a, on a set of bolsters parallel with the earth, it's a very slight inversion, probably going to be fairly mm -hmm. safe for most people. Right. And then, you know, for some people, they might have to be somewhat cautious in downward facing dog, standing forward bend, and spread leg accord bend because they're partial inversions. But, you know, you can get a decent blood return to your, to, towards your head. So you want to be a little bit, I'd, I'd be a little more cautious with those, but not to the extent of the full inversions. And down dog, standing forward bend, and spread legged forward bend are poses that beginners are likely to meet. In right, right. Yeah. So those yeah. are ones to be a little bit more careful with. Yeah, yeah. And have a course on Yoga You Online on Yoga for High Blood Pressure, which we're really excited about. Tell us about the course and uh, what you're covering. Great. So um, I'm very excited for this too, because as you know, we've, we've had put other content up, sometimes on high blood pressure, sometimes on heart health. But I just think that, you know, I'd like to focus um, this particular program for those people who are everyday yoga practitioners. Um, who are, number one, interested in preventing the development of high blood pressure, um, and number two, might have found out that they have pre-hypertension or stage one hypertension or want a little bit more guidance because they have that stage two hypertension. They want to be able to safely start to integrate some yoga practices into, into their life. So that's kind of the group of people I'm hoping that this program really speaks to in a nice way. And as, of course, you know, I think yoga teachers will get something out of it, but I think they have some other resources they can look at as well. Um, secondly, um, I, I want to talk, go, take a look again at a little bit of the research out there just to give people a really clear understanding of what we know and what's reasonable to assume. Uh, because, you know, yoga is helpful, but it's not a magic bullet, mm -hmm. right? So it's not going to be all things to all people, but it can be very helpful for many people. Yeah. So we'll try to put that in perspective a little bit and keep it on a very understandable level for those of us that are not scientists out there or, or researchers. Um, and then uh, we'll talk about how can we integrate yoga as an adjunct to whatever our healthcare team is recommending for us already, right? So we might actually have a really great doc, maybe a good uh, physician's assistant, maybe a great dietitian that we're working with who's giving us some really good guidelines, but we want to know how can yoga fit into that plan that I'm already working on a little bit, um, especially since I've come to fall in love with yoga as a new yoga practitioner, right? Can I actually use this in a good way? So we'll talk about ways to fit that in to what they might already be doing for themselves. And my hope is to look at some key practices, um, some styles of practicing, uh, some ways of thinking about how to use your, your actual poses, um, and actually give you some details on how to practice at home on your own to A, prevent hypertension, and B, maybe address pre-hypertension and stage one hypertension. Mm -hmm. And then if you are in that, that fourth category of stage two, maybe what tools are super, super accessible and very, very safe, and which ones will you want to add in later? Mm -hmm. that's, what I'm, that's what I'm envisioning yeah. for our time together in the yeah. upcoming program. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it sounds like it'll also be a really useful course for yoga teachers who might want to offer 
kind of course in their community for people looking to work with high blood pressure, which... Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think it's all this information. I always find that teachers always come to my um, programs that I do that are for the lay public because they're really interested in seeing how am I going to present this information that can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming, sometimes very complicated. How can we present this in an understandable way? And what do we know about the tools we have available to really help our students? Yeah, yeah. Well, Bex, it's, it sounds like a really timely and uh, very important course, and uh, we're so excited about it, and it coincides well with the uh, publication of your book, so um, I think we'll get to see a lot, lot of Bex to love in the yoga community soon, which <laughs> is well-deserved. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. It's been my, my pleasure. Thanks, Eva. You're welcome.